0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Malcolm Peralti. He's from Press Titan, which is an agency. And um, he did a project and is actively working on a project right now called One Million Teachers. You can find that at 1millionteachers.com. That's starting with the number one. Malcolm, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. I'm really excited to get into it with another uh, WordPress professional. Let's start at 1 Million Teachers. What is it?
1: So, 1 Million Teachers is the um, long-term idea from Hakeem Suber and uh, Rizma Butt. And they have uh, been working on this idea that, you know, UNESCO has been reporting huge shortages in the number of teachers that are needed in the continent of Africa and really kind of all the second and third world countries. Um, as many as like 17 million more primary and secondary teachers in Africa by 2030 and like 69 million additional teachers worldwide by 2030. And, you know, originally when he was going to start this, this project of teaching, he thought he was going to go direct to students because that's really kind of a common theme that you'll see in a lot of, you know, startup companies. Let's go to the students, let's teach the students, let's give them more tools. And what he realized was, you know, all these schools that were being built and all these students that were looking um, to learn, we're lacking kind of the teachers, the the leaders in education in these countries. And so he had to pivot, right? He said, well, I'm not going to, you know, basically give more resources to students because that's really being taken care of by like a whole wide gamut of, of different startups and companies out there. And uh, he pivoted to teachers and has really been focusing on that and uh, building up, you know, a, a e-learning platform to kind of help teachers or people who want to become a teacher uh, get their feet wet. and. and um, grow that in terms of the way that it's viewed in Africa. Uh, typically in a lot of African countries, being a teacher is actually kind of um, viewed very poorly. It's not a, you know, higher or mid-tier career. It's really kind of like, if you have nothing else to do, you might as well teach the local kids. And so he's, he's helping transition that as well to make it kind of, um, you know,
0: more of a well-thought-out career. What is the um, the reason for the shortage and projected future shortages? Is it that te- that teaching job is low status or like what else is going on to contribute to the shortage factor?
1: Sure. So the shortage factor, factor comes from a couple of different things. One, it comes from the fact that it is kind of considered a low status job. Two, the resources to train these people just aren't there. Um, you're not going to travel to a big metropolitan area that you can't afford to learn how to become a teacher so you can go back to a rural area and kind of scrape by an existence. And three, I mean, Africa is going to see the largest population boom of anywhere in the world over the next 10 to 20 years, because um, just as every country has, as they become uh, you know, more modern, more advanced, better healthcare systems, they're able to have better survivability rates and the birth rate starts to drop. But there's this little period of time where you know, these families are having five or six kids and all of them survive in adulthood. So the population is going to go kaboom, just like it has in India and other places. And so that's going to lead to a major shortage.
0: Wow. So what what did your agency, Press Titan, do for 1 million teachers? So they were using a hosted LMS solution,
1: um, iSpring LMS, and uh, they were using the iSpring suite. And they found it very easy to kind of create content and publish content. But the problem was you're working in Africa. And so they were looking for like $2 per seat. So even if someone just logged in for five minutes, that was $2 US gone from their budget. And when you extrapolate that, when you're trying to get to a million teachers, right, and your monthly concurrency might be as much as like, you know, 200, 300,000, you know, having a budget of over a million dollars for that kind of environment just wasn't making sense for them anymore. And so as they scaled, they started to realize that this is just costing us more and more money and we're not getting the benefit that we need from this. So they said, well, how can we get out from under this? How can we kind of control our own environment and kind of control our own destiny in that sense? And how can we kind of scale to the point where we have these optimizations in our technology that lets us have those cost savings to kind of keep that, that balance sheet working.
0: That's awesome. And this is, a, this is very much a WordPress story because in WordPress, we're trying to democratize everything. Like the mission of WordPress was to democratize publishing, then later democratize publishing and development. Which allowed companies like ours, like LMS, to develop software that other people could use with WordPress. Yeah. And then our mission is to democratize learning in the digital classroom. And, you know, what you talked about there, I totally understand it as a software company. Oftentimes they have what's called metered pricing or certain value metrics, whether that's number of seats, email list size, mm-hmm. amount of money th- flowing through the system, whatever it is, they put these metered checkpoints in there so that as the site becomes more successful, the cost goes up, which is called value-based pricing, and I don't fault them for it, but no, it doesn't work for every it, every model.
1: Right, and it totally makes sense for, you know, the corporate training and things like that, right, where $2 yeah. a seat is a drop in the bucket in terms of your training budget. But when you're talking about, you know, needing to get to a point where it's like $2 a year to teach a teacher, right? In terms of like direct technology costs, because there's so many other costs that go along with this program. Um yeah, it was just untenable. They just could not do $2 a seat per month to make this work.
0: How does uh is one million teachers a nonprofit or a for-profit business? It's a
1: for-profit company. So yeah. uh Hakeem struggled with that a lot at the start, determining whether he wanted to kind of go in that nonprofit or for-profit route. He had worked with nonprofits previously and seen just how much time the executive team had to spend on kind of chasing that funding. Yeah. And he really wanted to create a situation where there was a direct connection between um, you know, the funds and the people learning. So a lot of the funding right now comes directly from kind of local governments or local school organizations, things like that. Who are wanting to kind of elevate their teachers' education or to expand the number of teachers in their country and he loves that kind of more direct model uh, he you know as he 's growing he's finding that difficult right these conversations with government whether they're for profit or nonprofit take a very very long time um, much longer than I think anyone ever intended uh, on both sides of that conversation so it's, it's a struggle, uh, no matter which method you take. And I think for him, for-profit just seemed like a, you know, an opportunity to make sure that as the company grows, he had an easy way of putting funds aside and knowing that he didn't have to go through kind of a bunch of hoops to make that happen so that he could, on the lean times, have something to e- easily to draw from without the extra paperwork that goes along with it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Now, how did you connect with the One Million Teachers project? So I had just moved to Kingston, Ontario
1: in Canada and found a job with a like, startup accelerator style thing called Innovate Kingston. They were trying to, there's a real chicken and egg problem in Kingston. We have a huge brain drain here. We're kind of sitting between two major metropolitan areas. And so everyone graduating from the college university um, environment that we have here, it's a very college university town. They all leave. As soon as they're done, they go to one of the big cities, they make their big bucks. They never come back until they're ready to retire. And so that was a huge problem in Kingston that they really wanted to address. And so they came up with this idea that we're going to do this breakout project. So the initial idea was that they were going to hold it at a shutdown prison. Um, that wasn't allowed. So we held yeah. it at a heritage site here in Kingston, an old fort, Fort Henry. And we basically locked them in rooms for 48 hours and live streamed them going kind of from idea to execution on their startup ideas. And we had about eight different like startup companies come and, and volunteer for this. And um, they uh, I was responsible for the technology side, so making sure the streaming was working, making sure the internet was working, making sure the website was working. Um, tell you, getting all that technology working in a you know completely brick old fort uh, was not easy or fun. Um, wireless internet does not go very far through you know foot thick bricks. It just doesn't, especially when they're reinforced with a bunch of metal. So it was, it was a challenge and uh, I got talking to Hakeem and he has just, just charismatic vibe to the guy, right? He really truly believes that what he is doing is like a righteous cause, but he doesn't come off as like very preachy about it. He's just very hopeful. And -hmm. so you can't help but like the guy. And I spent more and more time talking to him. I started helping volunteer on kind of some of their marketing website stuff, um, lending my expertise in WordPress where I could. And, uh, you know helping like uh, my sister-in-law is a teacher so she would kind of look over and make sure that it some of the initial early content made sense from a pedagogy like a modern um teaching style um that it made sense with kind of the North American standard cuz i mean you, you can throw any content at people to learn but they wanted to make sure it was like you know top tier content that they were learning from and uh, so i just kind of got integrated with them more and more over time and eventually you know when they realized that they reached the point that you know, iSpring just wasn't going to work for them. He contacted me and said, "Look, like if you were to build, you know, a hosted LMS solution for us, what would that cost?" And I said, "Well, it's not a per seat cost issue. Like in terms of technology, I don't care how many people you have on the platform. What I care is how many concurrent people you have on the platform." <laughs> and so that's what we really kind of built it around, and um, the pricing just scales so much better for them.
0: That's awesome. Can you explain for somebody who's not Aware of the startup ecosystem or whatever, what an accelerator is, just like at base level. What? Why do these things exist?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the the big advantage of doing an accelerator, and actually, one million teachers is, is going to go through another one very shortly. Um, I'm going to visit South Africa with them. Hopefully, if everything goes well with you know, COVID not going nuts. Um, I'm going to go to South Africa and Cape Town and they're, they're doing Injini, which is an, a startup accelerator specifically for technology education companies in Africa. And the focus is really, you know, connections, funding, exposure, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's really the focus of almost any accelerator, kind of making sure that the, the founders have some business acumen, have the understanding of how to run this thing. Do they, are they actually going to be able to leverage this idea and turn it into a real business Um, sometimes you get the opportunity of investment. So, um, whether it's VC angel or whatnot, but the, the big thing is kind of that, that opportunity for, um, you know, uh, exposure really, they, they want this opportunity. Um, and Ginny's lining up meetings when we were here in Kingston, we had, you know, the media come and interview Hakeem and we had, you know, local businesses come and talk to him and see how they could help out. And really just those connections, um, probably, saved him at least a year of work and hopefully this ingenuity one will save him like another year of work right if he had to put his own boots on the ground and find these connections it would take a lot longer
0: so it really just helps like founder type people accelerate in lots of different ways whether that's connecting to other founders ideas moving from idea to implementation um getting financing potentially or yeah. workshopping it's it's awesome um it's a cool concept. I'm a big mastermind person, mm-hmm. but accelerators are kind of similar. Like it's an intense, short period of time designed to not just have a linear result, but really um, get get more progress. Yeah, build that hockey stick, right? Exactly. And, and speaking of the hockey stick, that's what I wanted to ask you next. A lot of startup and website stuff is all about the money, like helping a business grow, accelerate, get more leads, get more sales, get more clients, get more customers. But there's this other side to entrepreneurship, which is all about impact. And a founder, mm-hmm. you mentioned um, Hakeem, is that his name? That's correct. Yep. Ha- Hakeem is like a visionary type person and has a big vision and, and wants to create this big impact in the world and work on this these big problems. What's it like since you've been in, uh, in business for a while yourself and working with clients and whatnot, how is working with somebody who is a vision or an impact first, income second versus the other way around? What's, uh, it, what's, it, like, what's it like? For me, frustrating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Immensely frustrating. <laughs> okay.
1: um, it's so funny, right? Uh, when my wife and I talk about uh, you know, Elon Musk, for example, like I, I idolize what he's able to do and, and the type of guy that he is, but I would never want to work for the guy. And uh, Why do you say you know, that? Because he's the kind of guy who sleeps on his, you know, his warehouse floor as he's trying to get cars <sighs> built. Right? He's not the kind of guy who's living in his mansion, drinking daiquiris, watching TV on his big screen. He's there, you know, getting his hands dirty. And Hakeem is the same way. And it it can be so frustrating sometimes because he has these grand ideas, and you you can't help but want him to succeed. But the flip side is, I mean. I don't want to eat ramen for the rest of my life. Right. Or, or until it does the hockey stick effect. And so that can be kind of hard where he's, he's very much like I'll sleep in my car. I like, I'll do anything it takes to make this happen. I'll, you know, beg, borrow and hopefully not steal to make this happen. And it's amazing that he has the fortitude. Like, I mean, it's been almost three years now of him doing this and trying to grow this. And, you know, finally some of the deals that he started almost three years ago are actually coming to fruition, but it's been a grind. Um, and, just watching, you know, the endless optimism, the endless hope in his eyes and trying to find every dollar he can to make this happen has, it's both scary and inspiring as someone watching somewhat from outside, but still connected to it. Um, I love his passion. I love his drive. I, I hope to feel that way about something someday, but not so much that it consumes me, I guess would be the way that I put it. Uh, but I, I love it i 'm so glad that he's the one doing it and i'm i'm so happy to see that some of these things that he put in place so long ago are actually starting to pay dividends
0: yeah that's awesome I think that like when sometimes there's this perfect mix between like you know for profit business and visionary impact and sometimes you see there are there are unicorns out there that combine it, but often I see like a um partnership like a business partnership where the the two sides are like kind of work together and oftentimes the visionary is the one out in the public eye but then the integrator sometimes they're called there's a book by gino wickman called traction where he talks about this dynamic uh but can be quite powerful if the forces are combined to bring in you know like business realism and operations with visionary sleep-on-the-floor uh, Yeah, well, and, and
1: he's got, like, I mean, he comes from a banking background, so he has a very strong sense of the monetary side of this whole situation. And mm-hmm. so it is always there. I guess he's just, he's has the ability to kind of not let him, well, not let it chain him down, not let him slow him down, right? He sees these numbers, and they're chasing him, and he knows they're there, but he, he's really kind of looking to the future and, and um, trying to make things happen. Also, he has a great partner. In Rizma, but she did the same uh, Master's of Innovation program at Queens University, and she's very much kind of his, uh, um, you know, the little angel on his shoulder, so to speak, saying, "Look, like you have to be careful of this, you have to be aware of this, you have to, you know, think through these things because they're very important." But don't she never stifles his optimism and his energy? Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Well, let's let's talk about your energy. What is your <laughs> WordPress story? um Like it's, you've obviously grown to a point where you have an agency and you're doing like big projects Mm -hmm. and like, how did, what's, where's your WordPress origin story at? So,
1: I mean, it starts back like 17 years ago. So I, I, yeah, (laughs) I'm, you know, one of the old guards, so to speak. I don't think there's very many people in Canada that started um, actively using WordPress for business purposes before I did. Um, I started with WordPress 0.72. Wow. At the time, I was a couple of years out of college. I was trying to write what my What year own... are we at here? Oh, I don't want to say. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, at the time, I was you know, trying to build my own PHP content management system. And very quickly... That's what realized. I hear the
0: old guard say, is like, I was building my own CMS and then I found... Yeah, I, I
1: was like, okay. It's... I started mapping out like how long it was going to take me to build all these different components that I wanted. And I didn't want just something that was like, you know, a database, like a, a, a crud system where I could access this ugly database thing and be able to publish content. I wanted something that was usable and that worked well for me, right? And so I spent probably about 60, 80 hours on it and said, okay, I'm only like 2% of the way through where I want to be. Is there anything on the market that can do <laughs> like 80% of where I want to be? And uh, I stumbled into uh, WordPress. And not long after I found it, a bunch of the sites that I'd been reading were being bought up by this company, um, Forever Geek and CSS Vault and um, Blogging Pro. Uh, and Blogging Pro actually at the time was part of the WordPress News Dashboard. So if you ever go to your like dashboard page and you see the latest news from the latest like the, from the blogs that uh, have been kind of selected as news blogs, Blogging Pro was part of that and it was bought up. And I was like, okay, this is weird. The same guy is buying up all of my favorite sites, right? A technology site, a a design site, a WordPress like who was that? Site. So Jacob Goer, um, he was like just like a year out of college, okay. and he was like, you know, blogging is going to be the next big thing, and so he like basically borrowed all the money he could get a hand a hand on and bought all these big brands, right? Wow. And so me being me, I had to know more about this guy. What's he going to do with <laughs> my site? So I reached out and I said, Hey, can I interview you about your purchases? for my personal blog because, you know, everyone wants to be interviewed for their personal blog. Right. And he was like, uh, sure. Why not? Right. So I asked him basically, what are you going to do with these sites? And he, he turned it around on me and said, well, how would you like to write on them? And so I actually was writing part time for Darren Rouse on his uh, laptop blog. So he's, if you don't know, that's dot uh, problogger.com or, um, and blogger. Darren
0: Rouse also, um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but he did a lot in the photography niche, right?
1: Yeah, and he still does. Um, yeah. he still owns a nice photography blog. But back then he was writing about like how to become a full-time blogger, but also he had like twenty different sub- niches that he was like doing like a blog about the latest printers and laptops and cameras and all these like product things. Like it was an Amazon play, really. And so like he, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. while he was on vacation, I got to write on that site and um, he offered me a part-time job and Jacob offered me a part-time job. But when Jacob found out that Darren offered me a part-time job, I ended up as a full-time blogger for this, my favorite sites, which was just amazing. And how long,
0: how long did you stay doing that? So that was for about two
1: years. And then those sites got acquired by a bigger company. And then I got acquired as part of that deal and got to do, continue to work on them and a bunch of other sites for another year. And so I was a full-time blogger for like three years. Um, when I started, yeah. I was making like $3 an hour yeah okay. <laughs> but yeah so and then since then I just slowly have transitioned into doing kind of a little bit of technology and a little bit of marketing I mean I was updating um, before WordPress had built-in updating for core versions or, or releases you had to manually update WordPress and I was working on a network of over hundred blogs and the last thing I wanted to do as the person required to upgrade those was to manually upgrade all hundred sites so I actually created a bash script use and you know a, a coding script to be able to pull down the latest version, and upgrade these sites. And I just put it on all the servers and had it do it for me. And I was able to upgrade like a hundred blogs in like five minutes. And wow. uh, yeah, it, it felt really good to kind of continue to keep that balance of, you know, understanding what was happening in technology, understanding what was happening in online marketing and blogging. And my career just kind of kept on growing in that direction until I got to where I am today.
0: Where, where the transition happen from blogger to freelancer or agency person type thing? Like what's that part about? Yeah. Uh,
1: I, one of the things that I've realized about myself is that I don't do my best work on my own. So I, I tried a few times to start my own company by myself and, and try to make a go of it. And I do much better as part of a group. Yeah.
0: That's a know, reality. I think, um, people realize, like, it sounds great. Yeah. Laptop <laughs> on the hammock on the beach. I, yeah. I live anywhere. I'm good. But people who have been at it a while. Like it's a little, it's a little lonely road out there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I find that for me, you know, whether I succeed or fail on my own merit doesn't really, um, give that fire the same way that knowing that you have someone doing the same on their side and you're trying to make sure that they have a successful life and a successful business and vice versa, um, that just, I find, find like, gives me so much energy and drive to be able to kind of focus in a way that no, no other situation does. But I had worked for 10Up, which is one of the larger agencies back when it was only like 75 people. Um, it's now over, I think, like 200 or 250 people. Um, and I got to work on some amazing projects. And being a project manager and learning from like, you know, scrum masters and, you know, waterfall experts and really kind of understanding project management started to help me hone in that control that I needed, that understanding of how to build processes and how to execute on visions over a longer period of time. Um, because I'm very, I don't want to say ADD, because that's not, that's not a true representation, but I, I, I have a hard time sticking to a project for a long period of time. And being able to better break down those projects and understand that about myself has, has been able to allow me successfully transition into this role.
0: That's awesome. And what's your strength like uh, on the development side, like the the client management, the project management, are you like more uh, multi-dimensional or what?
1: I mean, I fought being a specialist for my entire career. (laughs) You know, I hate the idea of being like pigeonholed into one thing, but um, you know, David Krug, my co-founder, he definitely sticks more towards kind of the, um, you know, Uh, Business outreach and execution and things like that and I definitely stick more to the technical side I would never say that I'm a developer, but I end up, you know Modifying the heck out of plugins and themes and code that other people write and making it kind of work the way I need it to but I would never ever say that I'm a developer um, Or a designer or any of those things I'm just uh, you know very fortunate that I have enough of a wide enough variety of skills that I'm useful in a wide variety of situations
0: yeah, yeah, I call that being T-shaped. I mean, you may have be have one thing you're really good at, but when you can kind of cover the bases across being a hipster, a hacker, and a hustler, or however you want to describe <laughs> it, it's uh, it's it's very valuable to be well-rounded in that way. What is uh a piece of advice you have for freelancers or agency owners, just in terms of sometimes you look at a big company like Ten Up, Crowd mm-hmm. Favorite, Web Dev Studios, Enterprise WordPress. Like what's it what are the big differences between big enterprise projects and you know, reg, reg, more regular small business mid-market projects, bearing in mind small businesses can have up to 100 employees. They can be quite large companies, but right. like in it like doing something for an enterprise is like a whole other category. Like what's what's the reality of the two worlds? Um for me the transition was actually very difficult because
1: I'm a I'm used to working with organizations that have no money and no timelines, right? They're trying to hustle, trying to get, you know, blood from a stone as much (laughs) as they can, right? And so when I was working for 10Up, here I'm dealing with, you know, multi-million dollar budgets and time scales in the year-to-year kind of range. Wow. And so that was a a completely different experience. Also, the scale of the team becomes very different. So, um, you know, right now for uh, Press Titan, we have, you know, myself, uh, Krug, and another full-timer, And then we have a couple of part timers and a couple of freelancers and other companies that we kind of leverage and use to kind of give us lift in the areas that we need um, when the client requests it. But with 10 up, they have everyone right. I was working on teams of 12 to 15, 12 to 15 people spread across the world. I had you know one team that I was working on. I had a resource in California, um, in Florida, in Germany, in South Africa, and in India. And I had to you know do stand ups and reporting and all these things right. And I think the The biggest change is, um, you know, where I was used to no budget, I still kind of had to deal with that aspect of no budget because time is such an important metric, right? Value for time, um, no matter what size company you work with. So even these, these big enterprise companies where people talk about, oh, you know, they waste whatever on like golden toilet seats and stuff like that. No, no. I can tell you right now, some of the big companies that I work with are some of the tightest penny pinchers you'll ever meet in terms of time to value. Um, but I think the biggest adjustment was really the time scale, right? Understanding that, you know, the complexity of the things that you're doing are going to require a lot longer time. And while it's easy to kind of set up a project like on Jira or Basecamp or one of these tools, managing it for an extended period of time and not letting it become this horrible spaghetti trash can yeah. uh, a dumpster fire of a project it can be it can be exhausting and and people don't realize how much time it takes to kind of keep that together in a cohesive way for a group you know of 12 people
0: yeah project management is a real deal skill and i know what you mean as the scale and the timeline gets bigger the even more important one little mistake or scope creep thing can really get out of hand quickly. Yeah. I
1: mean, you know, 2% of a change in a month doesn't seem like very much time, but 2% change over the
0: course of two years is a huge amount of time, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, Well, what's, what's next for uh, 1 million teachers? Like where, like what's, what's coming next? Yeah. So like I said, they're going to do the Startup Accelerator in South Africa. They've also been invited to
1: some other events in Africa. Um, they're going to the International Information and Communications Technology Conference in Uganda in March. They're really trying to kind of, both in Africa and the rest of the world, find the right corporate sponsorships to kind of make this go to that next level. You know, The name kind of gives you a, an idea of what their initial goal is. They want to train one million teachers in second and third world countries. Right? right now they have a little over like 3500 people on the platform which in the scale of an L- LMS system it's not too bad you know, I've seen yeah. like a lot of people talk about LMS systems in the one to five thousand people range um, so the fact that they have 3500 is great but you know that's a long way away from their 1 million goal and and they've already started planning beyond that right one million teachers plus right they're talking about like how can they get to two or three or four million teachers and with every teacher kind of affecting the lives of you know upwards of around 300 students that could be That's a huge impact that they could have there. Um, So right now they're trying to figure out how they can get the financing to do that because um, it it requires a big team to do this, right? So they have the support of Queen's University, which is great. It's a top-tier university in Canada. They're helping make sure that the content um, stays at a very high standard. They're even talking about Queen's University giving certificates for teaching Um, with the Queen's University stamp and embossments and stuff on them. So the partnership with a university in Canada is a a great thing for them, but they'd love to expand that into other colleges and universities around the world so that um, these teachers can really kind of get the education that they need to really make their mark on this country. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're trying to figure out how, in terms of the technology side, they're trying to figure out how they can kind of do this in in, uh, a cost-effective way in a world where... I mean, they're not going to have DSL or cable internet to their home or fiber to their home, right? They have cellular internet connections. And even then, sometimes only when they go four hours to a local village or city to actually get that connection and connect with their friends and family. So One Million Teachers is trying to figure out how they're going to have a offline smartphone education app um, using kind of, uh, you know, WordPress, Lifter LMS, and uh, kind of the XAPI content that's in, um, uh, oh my God. Uh, what is it called? Learning Locker? Learning Locker. Thank you. Yeah. The LRS system, which is holding all the XAPI data of like how these people are doing. Uh, So that's, that's going to be a big technical hurdle. And also, you know, the servers that we're using are all actually in like Germany right now because the server infrastructure in Africa is just horrid, right? If we put a a server in Nigeria, it might have, you know, a nice tier two connection in, in Nigeria, but you know, the costs are higher than Germany, the latency is for some reason from South Africa to Nigeria is higher than that, so like finding all these technical inroads has been very difficult. I mean, I think we're all hoping that something like Starlink with, you know, the worldwide internet uh, like, uh, will be you know a great opportunity, but will it be beneficial to such low-income areas like Africa? It's, it's yet to be seen, right? So a lot of the offline educational aspect is probably going to be the biggest pivot point and the biggest change in terms of technology that needs to happen for women and teachers. And that's, they need that's the money to get that a real
0: innovation there. area. I call it um, portable content. Mm-hmm. Like really solving the portable content situation in a learning context, which is a little more, can be more complex than a music track or an audiobook. book. Uh, and podcasts, like these are portable content types but in the learning space, we have, like, pr- progress tracking and other kind of two-way sync demands that, um, you know, there's just a lot of room for innovation in that department. So it's cool. Yeah, to- of
1: course. And yeah. I, the the big issue is, like, even some of the big players in the space don't have it correct, yeah. right? Like, uh, Duolingo is a great example. They can't do proper offline content yet, and they're yeah. one of the biggest language educational tools that exist right now on smartphones. So it's 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 a difficult challenge and it's going to require some funding to really make it happen.
0: Yeah. I know, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes below this episode, but I did an interview with Cheryl Gillahan from Cause Labs and she, they were doing a workforce empowerment thing in Africa and one of the ways they were working on this issue was um, a lot of their content, training content was text-based uh, intentionally, even though like, you know, video is so popular now and everything, but just to make it on a weak cellular, cellular connection, downloadable, um, and just, you know, low bandwidth requirements to get to the actual training. So it's yeah. an interesting challenge. It is an interesting in-
1: challenge. So like, for example, the training content on 1 million teachers is using like XAPI tin can content. Uh, it used to use SCORM content and it's basically a, like a slideshow for those that don't know. Yeah. And it has uh, audio as well that goes with it because they felt like the, the two tier approach of having both the visual And the audio would be more impactful, more powerful. Trying to compress the audio enough that it's small enough, but also still keep the quality high enough that it doesn't sound like someone's playing a record player from the 1920s has been an interesting challenge as well, right? Um, Not being able to include video or animations to really kind of prove a point has been interesting. So we have to use multiple slides and multiple images to kind of convey the same message. So... Working around those bandwidth constraints have have definitely been a major challenge for them. And they're talking about how, you know, long-term, if they can really get some decent funding, how they could set up kind of um, learning centers in Africa specifically for this, right? How can they get, you know, potential teachers to come to these places and um, have, you know, maybe if there is an offline mode, a a place to download their next group of content, um, or if there isn't, can they come there? And if they don't have a device, borrow a device and start learning, right? So... Um, there is a whole non-digital aspect to this that has to still happen because of the technologi- technological constraints in Africa.
0: I think that's really smart. I call that clicks and bricks. Sometimes a solution to a learning problem <clears throat> or training opportunity combines in-person classrooms or like you're saying, a hub for people to go to to get the big download and then take it out to the back to the more rural, less connected area. That's That's such a That's a visionary entrepreneur way of thinking to solve the problem. (laughs) It's not just about, here's my product. It's like, how do I work within the constraints and solve this for one million teachers who have these challenges? Yeah. And working with
1: them on it, I mean, your brain starts to explode with the different pathways and potentials that are available. Um, You know, like I would, I would love to just, you know, do like, you know, a hundred or a thousand, you know, per country of these little, like you know, 3G base stations where one million teachers has the funding to pay for the data connection, right? And everyone just kind of connects to their local station and and gets what they need. Um, Or we're like, we started researching like high power wireless and what that looks like, right? How much high, like point to point high power wireless is there for the villages in Africa? And what does that look like? And what does it cost? Um, Are there lower cost solutions that we can, you know, direct internet to these locations?
0: So, Never thought I'd be working with that kind of stuff, but it's certainly <laughs> interesting. That's awesome. It just popped into my head, like some of these challenges exist even in the United States and Canada. Like I'm thinking about Alaska. I've spent a lot mm-hmm. of time up there in rural villages and they have they've got internet, they've got some things figured out even with no roads coming in and, and stuff like that. So um Yeah, I mean, a lot of the
1: technology exists. It's yeah. just it's really a cost issue, right? So like yeah you know, places in Africa can probably afford 20 grand for a long distance wireless tower. A village in Africa would only be able to afford 10% of that, if that, right? And so then it's like how much corporate sponsorship would one million teachers need to do it themselves versus how much they could actually get from the different communities and countries that exist there. And then kind of what's the cost to benefit ratio on that? Um, You know, as much as it's a for-profit company, you know, Hakeem is not the kind of guy who's looking to kind of get rich. And if he, if he ends up rich, it'll be like, I mentioned earlier, a very Elon Musk kind of rich where he'll be out in Africa, setting up that last tower, try to make sure just one more village has access. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. My, My heart goes out to the visionary entrepreneur like that. Tell us about, um, like when you were shopping around for WordPress LMS tools, like why did oh you choose goodness. Lifter? What was what was going on at that part of your journey? Of like, all right, I'm I'm working for this project, one million teachers. What can I do in WordPress? Or first, why WordPress, and then second, how'd you decide on Lifter?
1: Well, I mean, sometimes for me, WordPress becomes a little bit the uh, the the hammer, so to speak. Everything becomes a nail. Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't help but but want to use WordPress because I'm so. Um, deep in understanding, I've been able to manipulate it to do all kinds of wonderful things. Um, at one point in my career, I worked with uh, Rocket Genius, who made Gravity Forms, and so I have a real good insight in how to kind of you do different kinds of data collection using Gravity Forms. That you know, some people wouldn't think, oh, that's Gravity Forms, like that doesn't make sense to me because you can use it for any kind of user input,
0: right? I just I figured that out like or later in my career, I was like, oh. The, websites are really just forms. Yeah, yeah.
1: there's parts of (laughs) them that you can use (laughs) and collect data from. And then, you know, there's different add-ons you can use to display that data. You can like replace a commenting system with Gravity Forms if you really wanted to. (laughs) I don't recommend it, (laughs) but you could, right? Um, And so when Hakeem came to me and said, look, I really want to do this with you. I really want you to make this happen. What would it cost and how would it look? Um, One of their criteria was that they really kind of They didn't know what their future needs were going to be and they didn't want to be nickel and dimed. So they wanted something that they could just basically pay once for and know they had like basically every feature that they would ever require in the future, whether they knew it or not. Um, So that instantly crossed off like basically all of the ones that exist in kind of the WordPress space. I did look at non WordPress solutions as well, but I came across a very similar problem to the iSpring model which is none of them are really designed for the kind of scale that 1 Million Teachers is going to do. Um, I'm sure they would privately say, hey, yeah, we'll take that business, but they're going to charge probably you know 5 to 10x what we've shown that we could potentially do with scaling our own environment instead. So the, the cost becomes prohibitive again, and then it's not worth it. Uh, and then the other side, of course, was you know, they really wanted to be able to kind of take their SCORM content and very quickly and easily be able to drop it into a new solution. So, yes, we've had to transition it all from SCORM content to XAPI content, but that transition has been relatively easy thanks to Articulate. And we're basically almost done that content transition and getting it all into the platform. So, um, you know, a lot of quick requirements that really limited our choices and what was available. And then, I mean, the other big thing is I wanted... And Hakeem wanted a face, right? He wanted to be able to point to a person and say, you there, you're the reason this isn't working. Why not? Or are right. you there, like, where's this feature and why isn't it doing what we want to do? And uh, no offense, but you've kind of put yourself as that face in a lot of ways, right? You're, you're out there in the community, in the WordPress community saying, like, I'm doing this thing. Yeah. Uh, unlike most of the other uh, LMS providers in the WordPress space or out of the WordPress space, there's very few faces where you can point to and say, like, that is you know, he's put himself in the community, he's put himself as a point of contact, he's let it be known that he's available. And, uh, and you've done that. And sorry about your luck in a way, right? You're, <laughs> you've kind of put the, the rope around your own neck in that way, where when things come up, I, uh, you know, I reach out, and I feel like I'm going to get an answer. And I know that if I don't, that there's a, a point or a person of escalation. Not that that's ever been an issue. I mean, the few times I've needed your support team has been absolutely amazing. Um, especially like continuing to follow up after the fact, even when I've gone on and done something else. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, so we can see that you fix the problem. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't tell them that, right? Like, <laughs> oh, shoot. So yeah, it uh, you know, as much as the industry has many options and choices, a lot of them are very much the same. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were pretty quickly scratched off the list. So um, you no, know, we felt really lucky that there was still an option available with that would meet all these different constraints.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I, you know, over at Lifted Mess, we one of our things is like we don't hide behind the website. We're people. I mean, I, that's not a, a dig at anybody. i no, we've no. all had software tools that we use, and you can't find the phone number. or You can't like, yeah, can none of us are calling up Microsoft to get you know whoever's <laughs> yeah. running Microsoft these days. <laughs> like, yeah. So we've just wanted to do things differently and we also acknowledge that it's a platform. I mean, like sort of like WooCommerce, e-commerce is a platform, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. People are gonna have a lot of questions. They're gonna wanna customize and leverage the incredible network of WordPress. So every question coming in is gonna require some creative problem solving. So we just wanna embrace that, not like put up a wall to try to block that.
1: I will say that having experience in WooCommerce made my learning curve for Lifter LMS shorter. And I think that's, that's just point. from more of a technical side, not from a user side Yeah. Um, because I understood kind of how things were running in the background, how things were performing and what to look out for in terms of like caching and, and object caching and things like that. So um, if you're getting into this space, if you're, you're a young person or an old person getting in kind of like the Lyft or LMS space, if you have experience in WooCommerce, you're going to find the transition even easier. That's awesome. Um, what's the perfect client for Press Titan? I would say the perfect client for Press Titan is one that just really does not want to deal with technology. They don't even want to see a dashboard or know what a database is or care about what DNS is or any of those things, right? If the idea of you know the most you want to do is log into WordPress and update some content, that's the kind of client we want. We 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 are trying to help businesses that really just want to focus on their business. They don't want to focus on technology. They, you know, it's it you know I I don't do the mechanical stuff on my car. I bring it to a mechanic because I shouldn't have to know all the ins and outs of a car. That's why mechanics have studied to become mechanics. And so the the clients that we work best with are the clients that realize like we've spent these decades learning technology so that you really don't have to. Focus on growing your business. Trust us to take care of that. And uh, those relationships have been working really well. A lot of our clients have been through referral because of that. And uh, I, re- I really enjoy that. And uh, the second part of that is Ideally, we're looking for people that are trying to grow their business um, through, you know, technology, through technical SEO, through SEO in general, through content, through marketing, um, and that are kind of planning in their mind for like a a five-year time horizon to kind of almost graduate from Press Titan, right? Like we want to get one million teachers to the point where they can hire their own
0: IT team and they don't
1: don't really need us anymore. And and they've graduated from us and that to us is a a success.
0: Man, I love the clarity of that vision and um, the power of having a technology partner i think you said 17 years in wordpress mm-hmm. a long time like yeah. lever- when you leverage a technology partner like that who's been around the block and you have this big mission and vision yeah. and you're trying to make this big impact in the world like it's about the the team it's about the team more than like you just getting the tools and learning it all yourself yeah awesome Malcolm Peralti, he's at presstitan.com. The project we were talking about is called One Million Teachers. That's the number one, millionteachers.com. Anywhere else the good people of the internet can connect with you, Malcolm? Uh, the other
1: best way would be uh, on Twitter, which is at findpurpose, which, I mean, come on. A, it's, a good, <laughs> good, it's a good tweet handle, right? And yeah. uh, I mean, feel free to email me anytime, Malcolm at malcolmatpresstitan.com. I don't hide either. I'm, I'm out there. Thanks. Well,
0: awesome, Malcolm. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom and impact in your life head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet